All right, well, good morning again. It's so good to see all of you. I hope you had a wonderful Thanksgiving. I'm glad that you're here with us this morning. For those of you joining online, hope you are doing well too. Uh, well, before we uh, jump into today's message, um, I just wanted to share, for those of you who haven't heard, um, beginning mid-December or end of December to mid-March, I'm going to be on sabbatical. So sabbatical is, is a time that we as pastors are very fortunate to be able to, to take, a time to a step away for, for rest, for spiritual renewal. Uh, so I'm very grateful, grateful for our board, our staff, for all of you for allowing us to, uh, to take these sabbaticals. So I'm definitely going to miss uh, seeing all of you during that span, but I'm, but I'm looking forward to uh, getting the rest. I'm looking forward to doing things like visiting other churches, meeting with pastors, uh, studying up on some stuff that's been on the back burner for a while, and to just spend time with the Lord in solitude, uh, which may or may not include a mountain bike or, <laughs> or not. Um, but nevertheless, I would appreciate uh, your prayers. Uh, I hope that this time away would enable me to come back and serve you better. Uh, please pray for our staff, as many of them will be taking on some additional responsibilities uh, during, uh, during that time. So, uh, yeah, so thank you. And if you have any questions or suggestions, I'd love to, to hear it. Um, still have a month to go, so not leaving yet. Uh, but we are kicking off a brand new series this morning that we are calling Fulfilled. And for the next few weeks, as we make our way towards Christmas, uh, we're going to see how Jesus coming to earth was God fulfilling his promises in a far better way than anyone ever expected. If you've been with us the past few months, right, we've, we're looking at uh, some of God's promises to his people through the prophets. And now we're going to see God begin to fulfill those promises. And today we're going to look at the very beginning of Matthew's gospel, Matthew chapter 1, 1. And we're going to look specifically at the genealogy of Jesus. And just from this genealogy, just from this list of names alone, we're going to see how God fulfills his promise in a far better, far greater, far brighter, brighter way than anyone ever expected. So if you have your Bibles, you can turn to Matthew 1, 1, or you can look up on the screen. Verse 1 says, this is the genealogy of Jesus the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. So we're just going to stop right there. Now the word genealogy is from the same Greek word where we get the word Genesis, and it means beginnings. So just as Genesis 1-1 starts, in the beginning God created, here Matthew, clearly alluding to that, begins his gospel by stating this is the beginning. This is the genealogy of Jesus the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Right? And this is a loaded statement that is meant to trigger all kinds of emotion. Right? It's like having a conversation about sports and somebody referring to someone as the GOAT or using the GOAT emoji, right? an acronym meaning the greatest of all time. Right? And if you call someone the GOAT, that's going to trigger all kinds of responses, and you better be able to, to back it up. Well, Matthew, he doesn't have the acronym at the time. He can't just put an emoji. Right? But he's saying a lot about Jesus in just this one simple sentence. Jesus, the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. 
Now, common practice, first century Middle East, was to refer to someone by a single personal name that oftentimes had some kind of religious meaning or significance. Right here, the word Jesus comes from the Hebrew name Yeshua, which means Yahweh saves. All right, so just from the first name, it's a pretty bold statement, although Yeshua was a fairly common name at the time. The title Messiah, also translated as Christ, means the anointed one. And it was a title that would conjure up all kinds of hope, excitement, anticipation, because it specifically referred to the promise that God made Israel through the prophets of one day sending an anointed one, a Messiah who would rescue, redeem, restore. So here, Matthew referring to Jesus as the Messiah or as the Christ, is saying, Jesus is that guy. He is the Messiah that God promised us. The phrase, son of David, specifically refers to the promise that God made King David that uh, one day somebody from his family, his line, would establish a kingdom that would rule and reign over all nations forever. So Matthew calling Jesus the son of David is saying, Jesus is that king. He is the king that God promised David. The title, Son of Abraham, technically applied to every Israelite, but here in this context, it specifically refers to the promise that God made to Abraham, right? That through his family, his lineage, they would be a blessing to, to all nations. And Matthew calling Jesus the Son of Abraham is saying Jesus is that blessing. He is the blessing that God promised Abraham. So just from this opening statement, Matthew is saying, do you remember the promise God made Abraham? Do you remember the promise he made David? Do you remember the promise of a Messiah? Jesus is that guy. And I'm about to tell you all about him. Matthew then goes to, to lay the, the, the groundwork, lay the foundation, both the technical and legal support to, to back up his claim, and this is the, the genealogy of Jesus. So continuing with, with verse 2, It says, Abraham was the father of Isaac, Isaac the father of Jacob, Jacob the father of Judah and his brothers, Judah the father of Perez and Zerah, whose mother was Tamar, Perez the father of Hezron, Hezron the father of Ram, Ram the father of Amminadab, Amminadab the father of Nashon, Nashon the father of Salmon, Salmon the father of Boaz, whose mother was Rahab, Boaz the father of Obed, whose mother was Ruth, Obed the father of Jesse, and Jesse the father of King David. David was the father of Solomon, whose mother had been Uriah's wife. Solomon, the father of Reboam. Reboam, the father of Abijah. Abijah, the father of Asa. Asa, the father of Jehoshaphat. Jehoshaphat, the father of Jehoram. Jehoram, the father of Uzziah. Uzziah, the father of Jotham. Jotham, the father of Ahaz. Ahaz, the father of Hezekiah. Hezekiah, the father of Manasseh. Manasseh, the father of Amon. Amon, the father of Josiah. And Josiah, the father of Jeconiah and his brothers at the time of the exile to Babylon. Verse 12. After the exile to Babylon, Jeconiah was the father of Shealtiel, Shealtiel the father of Zerubbabel, Zerubbabel the father of Abihud, Abihud the father of Eliakim, Eliakim the father of Azor, Azor the father of Zadok, Zadok the father of Achim, Achim the father of Elihud, Elihud the father of Eleazar, Eleazar the father of Mathan, Mathan the father of Jacob, and Jacob the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, 
and Mary was the mother of Jesus, who was called the Messiah. Thus there were 14 generations, and all from Abraham to David, 14 from David to the exile to Babylon, and 14 from the exile to the Messiah. Now this is the, the, the groundwork, right? The, the legal support to, to back up Matthew's claim that Jesus, the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Now just one interesting thing to note is that Matthew doesn't include every single name in this genealogy. Uh, there are a few generations that he skips, and it was actually quite common to do so because the point of these lists wasn't always to, to be exhaustive, but a lot of times they were structured in such a way that would make it easier to memorize. Right, so in this case, 14 generations from Abraham to David, 14 from David to the exile, 14 from exile to Jesus. So piece of cake, easy to memorize. Right. Now for the first century Jewish audience who was listening to this list of names being read aloud, there would have been some things that would have immediately stood out to them. Some things that would have been startling, some things that would have been questionable, some things that might have been disturbing. Now one thing that would have immediately stood out to them were the, the names of women or the women who were referenced uh, in this list. Uh, Tamar, Rahab, Ruth, Bathsheba, or Uriah's wife, and Mary. And everyone except Mary what would have stood out was not just that they were women, but aside from Mary, that most of them were questionable, to say the least. Some might have seen as having a questionable character. A Tamar uh, was the daughter-in-law of Judah, who was one of Jacob's 12 sons. And long story short, on one occasion, she disguised herself as a prostitute in order to get her father-in-law Judah to sleep with her so that she could conceive a child. Rahab was a Gentile prostitute. Ruth was a Moabite whom the Israelites frowned upon. And Bathsheba was taken into an adulterous relationship by King David, which led to the murder of her husband, Uriah. So these were women who some deemed as questionable, to say the least. In addition to, to the women who were listed, the, the other thing that would have immediately stood out the thing that would have kind of disturbed some and caused some to cringe were the names of certain kings whom many wished to forget. Kings who were prideful and arrogant, wicked, cruel, and evil. Kings who led Israel away from God, rejected God. Kings who ultimately invited God's wrath and God's punishment. So what becomes immediately obvious for the listener is this is not the kind of family that one would expect from a Messiah, an anointed one, someone God would send to rescue, redeem his people. And that was exactly the point. You see, what Matthew is showing us here, what God is ultimately demonstrating is that he is a God who works in unexpected ways. That he is a God who is constantly working for humanity's good, for his glory, even when it seems like he's not working. That he's a God who loves to work through imperfect people, impossible circumstances, a God who works in our darkest moments when life is at its worst, when nothing good can seem to, to rise from, from a situation. That he's a God who can use Jews and Gentiles, men and women, rich and poor. 
He can use the broken and the sinful. He can use all of our good decisions and our bad decisions, all of our strengths, our weaknesses. He can use all our flaws and all our mistakes. Isaiah 55, verses 8 through 9, says, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. Ephesians 3, 20 to 21. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Right, so God says, my thoughts are not your thoughts, my ways are not your ways. Apostle Paul says God can do immeasurably more than all we can imagine. Now this may be be stating the obvious here. But this notion of God working in unexpected ways means that when he's working, there's going to be a lot of times when it's going to seem like he's not working. Now there are obviously going to be times when God is working and we're going to see him working. Right? Times when he works in expected ways, anticipated ways, when he does things we can understand, when we can imagine. But when God is working in unexpected ways, it means that oftentimes when he's working, it's going to be hard to see. It's going to be hard to recognize, hence unexpected, unimaginable, incomprehensible. And that's the challenge for, for us is to believe by faith right, that God is working, especially when it seems like he's not working. The challenge is to be able to, to, to believe that what God is fully present, even when he seems completely absent. And thus, when we find ourselves encountering difficult people, find ourselves in difficult situations, Situations that would often lend itself to frustration, fear, worry, anger. We're invited to, to have peace. We're invited to have hope, joy, encouragement because we believe that God is working. And the question for us is, are we open to how God is working? Are we open to the fact that God can choose whoever? He can use whatever situation for his glory, for humanity's good. Now, I think it's safe to say that for those who were listening to this list being read aloud in the first century, there would have been different levels of hope, different levels of joy, different levels of encouragement that, that each person felt, that some would experience a lot, some might experience very little. And the one thing that would ultimately determine the level of hope that they felt the one thing that would significantly affect or dictate the kind of joy they experienced was ultimately how they felt about Jesus and how much they focused in on him in comparison to, to everyone else. Because what ultimately demonstrates God's goodness, what ultimately demonstrates his faithfulness over the span of 40 generations, 2,000 some years, individual lives filled with joy and happiness, pain and suffering, what ultimately demonstrates his ability to work in unexpected ways is that all their lives pointed to Jesus. All their lives led to him. A week ago Friday, 
I went to go pick up our kids from school. It was the, the last day of school before Thanksgiving break officially began. So I pick them up from school. They jump in the car. And the first thing Carly asked me is, Daddy, can we come to school tomorrow to watch the boys' varsity basketball game? So I kind of joke with her a little bit. I'm like, well, let me just get this right. You, who complains about coming to school virtually every day, on your first day of vacation, you want to come to school and watch the boys' varsity basketball game? You don't even love watching the girls' basketball games, and you're on the team. And she's like, yeah, because if I come, I get a mile pass. And a mile pass was, in essence, the next time they have to run a mile in PE, she doesn't have to run. <laughs> and because that mile pass was so valuable and so precious, it made coming to school on a Saturday seem just fine, totally worth it. You see, in the same way, when you look at this list of names, the more you focus on Jesus, the more you focus on who he is and all that he's done, not just for us, but for all of humanity, the more amazing this is. The more hope, the more joy, the more encouragement we get to experience. Yet when you take your eyes off of Jesus and you focus it on any other person on this list, while it's still good, it's not as great as when you look at it from a whole. This past October, uh, many of you know, the Atlanta Braves won the World Series for the first time in 26 years. And even if you're not a Braves fan, and I know it stings for, for Dodger fans, but even if you're not a Braves fan, it's hard not to applaud their accomplishment. One of the best turnaround in sports in quite some time, a baseball team winning in kind of some unexpected ways. The Atlanta Braves started the season kind of slow. They were struggling. At the halfway point, they were just an average team. 44 and 44 was their record. And then on July 10th, their best player, one of the best up-and-comers in all of baseball, Ronald Acuna, hurts his knee, tears his ACL, he's out for the season. And many teams are expecting them to just throw in the towel and call it a season. Except they regroup, they retool, they go out and they acquire four additional outfielders to replace Ronald Acuna. They get former Dodger Jock Peterson, they get Adam Duvall, they get Eddie Rosario, they get Jorge Soler. And immediately they start to win ballgames. And they steamroll their way into the playoffs. They win the World Series. Eddie Rosario is NLCS MVP. Jorge Soler, World Series MVP. And when you think about what the Braves accomplished, it's hard not to applaud them. It's hard not to feel good about such a, a turnaround. But when you think about Ronald Acuna, it's a little sad. A little disheartening. You're the best player on the team, and your team is only average with you. And then you get hurt, and then the team gets really good. Your replacements lead the way. They win the World Series all while you watch from the bench. See, when you look at the team, there's a lot to feel good about. 
When you focus on the individual, it's still good, but it's not as great. And the same is true with this list of names that we see in Matthew. Right? You can just start with Abraham. Right? God calls Abraham out from his home, promises him right, that he is going to be a great nation, that he's going to have more descendants than the stars in the sky, and that his descendants are going to be a blessing to, to all nations. And then Abraham goes 20-some years and doesn't even have one kid. Then there's the drama with Hagar and Ishmael. Finally has Isaac and a handful of other kids, and then he dies. I mean, it's still good, but it's, it's not as, as great as when you see it from a whole. Take a random name like Aminadab. Aminadab is born in Egypt as a slave. He has a daughter. She marries the high priest Aaron. Aaron pairs up with a guy named Moses, and they make quite the team. God uses the two of them, rescues Israel, leads them out of Egypt. And then not too long after, your son-in-law Aaron makes a golden calf. Ticks off God. You and all your buddies are banned from entering the promised land and you die in the wilderness. I mean, it's still good, but it's not great. I mean, take King David, right? The greatest name on this list aside from Jesus. Young shepherd boy kills bears, lions with his bare hands, takes down Goliath with a slingshot in a rock. Eventually becomes king, the greatest king Israel ever had. Leads Israel to the pinnacle of their existence. And then there's the whole thing with Bathsheba and Uriah. Your own son Absalom tries to, to overthrow you. You eventually hand it off to your son Solomon, who starts off really strong but ends kind of weak. By the time your grandson is running this show, things rapidly begin to fall apart. Right? It's still good, but it's, it's not as great. See, the more you focus on any one individual, the more we limit our ability to see how God was working and all that he was, was doing. You see, the challenge for us today is many times when, when we think about the idea of of God moving and God working in unexpected ways, doing stuff that's far better, far greater than we can imagine. The temptation for us is a lot of times to spend the majority of our time focusing in on one individual life, our own life. We think about all the ways God can work in us and, and through us, all the ways all the things he can do for, for our finances, for our careers, for our relationships, for our, our ministries. And while it's not bad to think about those things, I mean, we should think about those things because God is working in those areas. But if we spend the majority of our time and our majority of our energy just focused in on one life, we limit our ability to see more of all that God is doing in all the ways that he's working. About a month ago, uh, here at church on a Friday night, picking up our kids and a couple of friends uh, from youth group. And it was kind of a stressful time. I don't remember what was going on, but I was feeling kind of anxious, discouraged, a little bit tired, and just kind of stressed about things. So I come to the church, and the girls come out of youth group, and one of their friends asks, hey, can we listen to worship music? 
And I was kind of startled because I didn't know where she was spiritually and she had been kind of new to church. So it startled me that she would ask to listen to, to worship music. So the girls get into the car and they start playing some music. And as I'm driving, I can hear her singing. I can hear her, her worshiping. And I was in complete shock. In, in awe. Now, I didn't know exactly where her heart was at that moment, but just the fact that she was worshiping, right, it, was, it was humbling. I was encouraged. I was rejoicing. I was emotional, even though I didn't want to show it or, or say it. And I remember thinking, you know, God, if, if your purpose for me is to be a chauffeur, so people like her can, can get to know you, then, then I'm good with it. And I just began to, to worship in my own heart as I, as I heard her worship. And the crazy thing is that none of my problems were fixed that moment. And all the same stresses and all the same worries and all the same burdens, it stayed the same. But because I got a glimpse in that moment of how God was working through her and in her, I was encouraged. I was blessed. This past Thanksgiving, when I went over to Phoenix, Arizona, sitting around the dinner table with some family, and, and one of Amber's cousins just started talking about things God was doing in his life. How he was going to church, how he joined a small group, as he was serving in, in the community. And as he's talking, I'm being blessed. I'm being encouraged. I'm being inspired. Because even though he's just telling me about how he's growing, I get a glimpse of how God is working. You see, God working in unexpected ways means that we don't get to choose how God works. That God can work whenever, wherever, however, through whomever. All we get to choose is whether we will focus our attention, we will focus our energy on Jesus and on all that he is doing. You see, it's when we step back and we remember and we recognize who Jesus is, all that he's done, when we consider the fact that he came to live amongst us and die for us, that he was a better king than anyone expected. He established a greater kingdom than anyone envisioned, that he was a far better blessing than anyone ever imagined. That's when we get to see just how good and faithful God truly is. And the challenge for us is to be able to, to see it, not only in our lives, but in the lives of, of those around us. And this is why things like being in a community, being in a small group, serving in a ministry is so important. Not just because they're good, but because when we're in those things, when we're around other people who are following God, when we are in spaces where the gospel is being proclaimed and people are being blessed, we get a better view of all the ways God is working. And the more we see God working in unexpected ways, the more our, our faith grows that we have a God who works in unexpected ways. And the more we believe that God is working in unexpected ways, the more hope 
the more joy, the more encouragement we get to experience. You see, Christmas is an, an invitation. It's an invitation not just to remember that, that Jesus came, but it's an invitation to center our entire life around Jesus. An invitation to not only remember all that he's done, but to, to remember that he's doing things that are far better, far greater than we can imagine. So as we close our, our time this morning, as we move back into a time of worship, let's, let's remember all that he's done and give him praise and thanks for those things. But let us invite him to, to show us, to help us to see all the ways that he's moving, even in the ways that we least expect it. Will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, God, we, we praise you and we thank you for being a God who works in ways that are far better and far greater than, than we can imagine. That you do things that are good. That you are faithful. That you are sovereign. And that you are the one in control and not us, God. So God, I pray that you would give all of us the faith to believe that no matter how difficult things may seem, no matter how challenging our circumstances may be, that you are in our midst working for your glory and for our good. And God, I pray that you would give us the eyes and the heart to see all around us in ways that you're working in the lives of others and people who are near and far, people who are like us and different from us, people we agree with, disagree with, people we like and, and dislike. But God, help us to see the ways that you are working in our lives and the lives of those around us so that we can grow in our faith, so that we can grow in our awe and our worship of who you are and all that you're doing. So we thank you and we praise you. In Jesus' name, amen.